As many of you uh, probably already know through the prayer requests, this past month has been a crazy month for the Hone family. Um, it's probably just about a month ago that we discovered that my mother had cancer. A week ago Thursday, she went into her eternal rest. The outpouring of love from family, from Christian brothers and sisters, many of you, has been overwhelming, healing, touching, and has really been a balm to our souls. And so my deepest gratitude to those of you who did reach out and, and, and heard about it. When I was a boy, one of my mother's sisters often babysat me. Um, and, and we developed a really special bond. Uh, I don't tell my brothers this, but I was clearly her favorite nephew. <laughs> when I was about seven years of age, uh, my family was on a family vacation to where we usually would go up in the Adirondack Mountains. And I received a piece of mail on vacation. Now, if you know anything about seven-year-old boys, we don't get a lot of mail. So to get a piece of mail while I was on vacation was so special. And it came addressed to Master Eric Hone. A master is an old term for a male under the age of 18. We don't use it so much anymore, but my aunt had written me this letter to Master Eric Hone. So to get this piece of mail to Master Eric Hone while I was on vacation was just mind-blowing. And inside the envelope, she had put this letter with cutouts from newspapers and magazines to fill in different words. And uh, I loved comic strip cartoons when I was a kid. So she had included all sorts of cartoons and, and, and everything. She had made this letter for me and it was so her, her personality, and it was so personal for me because she knew what I would like. And so it was this very deeply personal communication she sent to me, which is why I still have it to this day. Now, in about a year later, my aunt died. And so I've cherished this as some, a special communication that she sent directly to me, thinking of me, and it was about our special bond together. You know, as a counselor, I've often received notes, letters, cards from former clients just expressing their um, gratitude, their thanks for the ways that I've been able to help them. A long time ago, a counselor mentor of mine suggested that I, if I get those things, to keep them in a file together as an encouragement file. And so I did, and in preparation for this message, I got those out and I went through them, and yet again was just overwhelmed and floored by the sentiments that were sent to me and, and I, that I cherish because of the personal nature of them. And I remembered every person that had sent me one um, and there's some people you just remember more than others for some reason, whatever. Uh, and this one special person, what, what they gave me was this little pin. Now, I am holding a pin. If those of you are watching online, I'm actually holding a little tiny pin here. You probably can't see it. But all it has is a cat, a picture of a cat sitting on a brick wall, and it says, if I had two dead mice, I'd give you one. I've cherished that, along with all the other remembrances that people have given me, um, because it connects me to them. And, and it's a way that, that 
even though we don't see each other anymore, that sentiment is very near and dear to my heart. And it feels so good when we get an encouraging communication from someone, an encouraging letter. It warms our hearts, it connects us to that person even more. And that is basically what Paul's letter to the Philippians is. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 1 of Philippians, and today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. But Paul's letter to the Philippians is basically that it is a heartfelt love letter to a church that he cherished, a church that was very close to him. And I think there's a lot of things that we can gain out of the words that he speaks to them. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we seek God's guidance in that. Heavenly Father, um, it is so important for us to encourage one another. It is so important for us to uh, lift each other up, to, to connect with each other as, as fellow believers, as part of a family. And it is so incredible the ways that you, through your Holy Spirit, minister through that. That you bind us together, you, you unite us in unity through our love for each other. And you even said, that that's how they're going to know that you are my disciples, is that you love one another. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at Philippians, as we look at the first chapter, as we look at these 11 verses here today, that you would guide us, that you would speak to us, that you would warm our hearts, that you would encourage us and challenge us where we need to be challenged. Amen. So the church in Philippi was the first church in Europe. And we see in the book of Acts, the first convert in the city of Philippi was a woman named Lydia. And the church was started in her home under the guidance of Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Now, Philippi was a very affluent city in Macedonia. Um, it, there was gold mines in the outlying areas, but a lot of their wealth had been taken by the Romans who had taken over the city. And so the church in Philippi was actually made up of mostly Greek people, but not wealthy Greek people, mostly poor, um, and, and some Romans as well. Um, but the church remained a faithful model church for centuries until Philippi, the city, was destroyed by an earthquake in 619 A.D., so Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was imprisoned in Rome. Now the Philippian church had supported Paul throughout his ministry and that they had sent him gifts. And in fact, he's writing this letter in part to thank them for the gifts that he had sent them. He's also writing it to encourage them to persevere in the face of difficulties, to remain humble, to remain unified, and to resist false teaching. In other words, to continue to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul opens his letters in the first two verses. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in most of Paul's letters, he identifies himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ. But he doesn't do that in this one. Now, the word apostle is a term that was given to those who God had chosen to lead the early church. 
Um, most of them were disciples of Jesus, not all of them, but they were the ones that God had anointed to lead the early church. And Paul often identifies himself as an apostle in his letters, but he doesn't do that with the Philippians. Now, some people have suggested that that is because of his intimate connection with the church. Paul started this church. He visited the church many times during his ministry. And so, because of that intimate connection, he doesn't really have to kind of put forth his credentials. They know who he is. They know what his background is. They trust him, and he trusts them. I mean, if I were to write a professional letter to someone... There's a whole alphabet of letters that I put after my name representing different degrees and certifications I've earned. But if I'm writing a personal letter to a friend, I don't do that, I just say it's Eric, right? And so I think there's a little bit of flavor of that to it. There's also the possibility that that omission of the word apostle goes even deeper for Paul. That he's not asserting his authority, But in humility, he's identifying himself as a servant of Christ only, which actually lines up with what he's going to say about Christ in chapter 2 of Philippians, where he talks about um, that even though Jesus Christ was God, he didn't use that to his advantage, but humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross for us. Paul also may have omitted that apostleship, identified himself as a servant of Christ only, in deference to the overseers and deacons that were in this Philippian church. I mean, this is an early church, and they already had a group of successful, good, faithful overseers and deacons, and so he may have been kind of deferring to their leadership in the church and trusting them with it. And so I think it's a little bit of both. There's the familiarity with the church and the humility of you know, submitting himself as a servant in Christ. And so basically, he is writing to old friends who know him well, cherished friends that he can connect with on a personal level. And so he continues in verse three, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Wow. Imagine what that would be like for people to say, I thank my God every time I remember you. What kind of church do we need to be? What kind of people do we need to be? And people would say, SVC? Oh, man, I thank God that church is there. Of course, it's not people's praise that we seek. There's always going to be you know, those naysayers. always going to be people that put the negative review on Yelp, right? Um, It's not people's praise we seek. Ultimately, it's God's praise that we seek. In the book of Revelation, we see Jesus sending letters to seven churches. Now, five out of those seven churches get some pretty harsh pull-ups from Jesus. I mean, pretty harsh. Only two of those seven churches kind of get the pat on the back to say, you're doing a good job, hang in there. Two out of seven. How can we be a church like that? How can we remain faithful to him so that people say, SVC, I thank God every time I remember you. Well, Paul goes on in verses four through six, and he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so I think here we start to see 
why Paul is so grateful whenever he remembers the Philippians. It's because of their continued partnership in the gospel. Because they are a church that has remained faithful to living out their faith, he is filled with joy and thanksgiving whenever he thinks about them. He trusts them as partners in the gospel of Christ. And his words give a sense of warmth when he writes to them. I don't know if you've ever had this kind of experience of traveling somewhere and maybe you go into a different church and some of you, you know, family members here are, are, are maybe in here for the first time. Hopefully you get this kind of experience. Um, but, but traveling somewhere and meeting other Christians and getting an immediate sense of family, of belonging, of connectedness. I know in these recent weeks with my mother's passing, the outpouring of love from people that knew them but didn't really know me but have sent messages and, and feeling connected to them has been incredible. My brother-in-law recently told me a story. My brother-in-law suffered from claustrophobia, still does to a certain extent, but suffered from claustrophobia for many years. Uh, he would not drive through a tunnel if he could avoid it. He would not go into an elevator. He hadn't flown in an airplane for 17 years. And it got to a certain point where he felt that God was really challenging him about that stronghold of fear in his life. It was really kind of trying to wrestle with him to hand that fear over. And so in that wrestling, he felt convicted that he really needed to, to challenge those fears and an opportunity came up through work to travel halfway across the country. And so he made that commitment he was gonna get into an airplane. And he got into the airplane got to his seat, and it turned out the woman sitting next to him, as he engaged in nervous conversation with her, was a pastor. And she herself hadn't flown in about 17 years, and in their conversation, she just held his hand and said, we're gonna get through this together. That immediate sense of connection and bonding with other people who are in Christ is something I don't think you can really understand outside of Christian circles. I know as a staff we've experienced that. We often, uh, we're gonna have that Zoom call tomorrow night. We've had other Zoom meetings where we bring some of our missionaries into our staff meetings. And even though, you know, on a personal level we don't really know them that well, but it immediately feels like they've been a part of our staff for years and they come to every staff meeting because of that connection and bonding that we have. Being a Christian isn't just about personal salvation. It's not just about having our sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ and having a hope of resurrection through his resurrection. It is about that, but it's not just about that. It's about being part of a kingdom. And the Bible says if you are a believer in Christ that you are co-heirs of the kingdom of God with Christ. It's not just about our own, our own personal salvation, it is about our corporate joining together in a kingdom ruled by Christ. And that's why we put so much emphasis on that kind of fellowship. And, and you know, we have the small groups here at Susquehanna Valley. It's in those types of environments where you can build relationships, you can build community, you can develop accountability and trust and transparency and really 
build those kinds of meaningful relationships that we need in our lives. And it's that sense of community that comes through in Paul's words to the Philippians. He had a deep affection for this church and he was excited to write to them. These were cherished friends in whom he delighted. And I don't think he was just being nice when he said these words to them. I think he truly felt a partnership with them and he thought fondly of them because of their faithfulness to Christ. One of the evidences of their faithfulness to Christ was their humble generosity. These people were not wealthy, and yet they continued to give, supporting Paul in his ministry, supporting the, the home church in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he used the, uses the Philippian church as an example of generous giving, in a way to challenge the Corinthian church, who was a much wealthier church, to give as well. Isn't that interesting? that poor churches tend to outgive wealthier churches proportionally? What does that say about our desire to hold on to wealth? Well, that's a whole nother sermon. The point is that the Philippians' faithfulness in the gospel and partnership with Paul brought joy to him and gave him confidence that they would continue to grow in Christ and in their faithfulness. As he said, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He trusted that their faithfulness would continue and that God would continue to work in and through them and grow them and use them for his kingdom. So how do we, as a church, remain faithful to the gospel of Christ? If Paul were alive today, would he say, SVC, oh yeah, they're good. I know, they, they are my partners, I trust them. They're good. It's not just the things that we do that proves our faithfulness, but it is the heart behind them. It's not just the things we do, but it's the heart behind those things. SVC, Susquehanna Valley Church, exists to love God and to love people. And to help people do that same thing, to love God and to love people. So we exist to love God, love people, and help others love God and love people. We expect God to do great things because he always has. And everyone is invited. I don't care who you are, what your background is, what the color of your skin is, where you've been in your life, everyone is invited. And we have a rock solid dependence on God and we have a passion and obligation for the next generation. Those are just some of the values that drive what we do as a church. But they have to be grounded in that basic premise to love God and love people. There are a lot of things that we do as a church from um, the weekly worship services to supporting missionaries to the service projects that like, we're gonna do in a couple of weeks on the 22nd. But if those things are not driven by humility and love, they're only gonna be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Psalm 51:17 says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Hosea chapter six says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. 
And as I mentioned before, Jesus in John 13 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we are all, and I mean each and every one of us, even if you're watching online and you've been attending our church through social media, if you have been coming regularly, if this is where you come to church, whether in person or online, we want you to be a part of what's going on here. And if all, each and every one of us are involved at the heart level, the things that we're gonna do as a church will speak volumes. Church is not just a place that we come and get fed on a Sunday morning. It is a fellowship of people worshiping God together And part of that worship is serving God together in his kingdom. And as we do that, he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul continues to affirm his relationship with the Philippians by saying in verses seven and eight, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then we see his prayer for them. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you've ever wondered what you should be praying for somebody, the Bible is full of great prayers. This is one of them. It's a great prayer to pray for people. Paul prays that their love would abound more and more. That is, to be present in abundance. It reminds me of John 10.10, where Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life. The life-giving attributes that God wants to instill in us through the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit is listed in Galatians chapter five. Those things that he wants to instill in us, he wants us to have in abundance. He wants us to be bursting at the seams with those things. He wants them to be spilling out of us, splashing all over everybody else. He wants our joy to be full. However, it's not supposed to be an untempered or an unwise expression of emotion. We are to abound in love in knowledge and depth of insight. Now the word in knowledge, the Greek word epignosis that's used there in knowledge really is talking about that deep kind of experiential knowledge, not just the intellectual knowledge. So when I learned how to drive a stick shift car, um, I, I asked my cousin who had a stick shift to teach me. Now, I knew intellectually how to drive a stick shift car. I I understood the concept. I knew about the clutch and the, you know, the shifts and all that stuff. I understood that intellectually. My poor cousin's car, though. (laughs) Because I hadn't learned it experientially. I didn't get it, right? There's a difference between intellectual knowledge and experiential understanding. And so when Paul says, to grow in knowledge, 
He's talking about that deep, I get it kind of knowledge. And then the depth of insight. The depth of insight is about discretion or moral judgment. And we have to be wise and discerning in our, in our expression of love. There's one commentary that I read on this passage that said, love without discernment may be well-intended but harmful, being enthusiastic and easily misled. There's a lot of times where we can, out of love, out of all the best intentions, we can jump into a situation and make more of a mess of it than it already was because we weren't discerning in it. When I was a young man, I was attending a church that often did altar calls, which means that after the sermon, the pastor would offer if anybody wanted to come up and pray that they could. And oftentimes, somebody from the pastoral staff would come and pray with you. And so this one particular Sunday, I just felt God leading me to go pray. I don't remember what I was there to pray about, but I felt God leading me to go forward and pray, and so I did. And one of the pastors came over and started praying with me about something he assumed I was there to pray about. It wasn't anything to do with what I was there to pray about, and it just immediately shut me down. And I knew that he had all the best intentions, but I just, you know, quietly shut myself down and thanked him and went back to my seat. Love, without wisdom and discernment, may not be well-placed. And so Paul's prayer for the Philippian church, and I'm, I'm just gonna apply it to our church here, is that we would be growing and bursting at the seams in love. That we would fully understand, experientially as well as intellectually, what this love is. And that we would have discernment and discretion in how this love is expressed, so that we may be able to discern what is best. As a church, we love everyone. As I already said, one of our values is everyone's invited. So as a church, we love everyone but we can't do everything. We love everyone, we can't do everything. There are a lot of wonderful ministries that we could get involved in, a lot of wonderful things we could do, but we can't do all of them. And so there's a lot of things we could be doing, but we need to focus on the things that God calls us to do. What are the things that we as a church should be doing in order to be effective? But if we remain faithful to God's leading, remain surrendered to Christ, remain filled with the Holy Spirit and burst at the seams with his spirit. We can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Look, we're not a perfect church. We never will be. I don't know any that are. But if we look to the Philippian church as a model, what we see is faithfulness to God's calling and to his word. We see generosity, we see humility, we see love, and these are hallmarks of a healthy church. If we continue to put our confidence in Christ, that he is our foundation, he is the cornerstone upon which we do everything, then maybe we'll, people will be able to say, oh, SVC, I thank God that they're there. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves right now. When we look at, at what you did in that church in Philippi, the people that they were faithful to you, it is a humbling lesson. It challenges us to say, where are we? 
Are we walking with you? Do we build our foundation upon you? Is everything that we do done in your name? If it isn't, Lord, Lord, please convict us. And help us to draw together, to support, encourage each other, and, and to really live out the gospel of Christ as you have ordained it for us here at Susquehanna Valley Church. We seek you, Lord. We seek your wisdom. We seek your guidance. We seek, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and direct us in all that we do. May we bring you honor and glory and praise and be a jewel within the crown of your kingdom. In your name, amen.